ever feel like you're in one of those conversations, one of those arguments in which it feels as if you have said the same thing over and over and over again, and it seems like the person you're talking to is not only not listening to you, but can't even hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? It feels as if no matter how right you are, how much you know that you are right and how much you know they're wrong, and, and no matter how you have decided to convey it to them, you've tried once, you've tried twice, you've tried three times, and every single time they just look at you and they go, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not buying it. It's frustrating. It makes you want to give up. It, it almost feels as if they are plugging their ears and closing their eyes and they are completely shying away from the truth even though they see the truth right in front of them. You can maybe understand how Jesus would get to that point with the people here on earth. His contemporaries, the ones that were on earth walking around with him, got to see him. They got to hear him. They got to see how he spoke in this, this eloquent, authoritative way on this word of God. And then he had the miracles to back it up. And what was their response? Not buying it. No. You could not possibly be who you say you are. We see that actually in the lead up to our verses today. We're in John 9. At the end of John 8, what we see is that Jesus calls himself the Messiah. And what do people do? Do they throw a parade? Do they say the Messiah is here? What a wonderful thing. No, if you know what John 8 is all about, the people hear him say, I am he. And they reach to the ground and they pick up some stones. And they're ready to kill him. And we sort of get that feeling throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, that Jesus would say it time and time again, kind of as clearly as he could possibly phrase it to the people, I am the long-awaited Messiah. And over and over again, these blind people, especially these blind Pharisees that we see in front of us for our reading today, just go, yeah, nah, not buying it. But Jesus is persistent. And Jesus doesn't give up on people just because they are spiritually blind. And we get to see how that plays itself out with this blind person, not just in a physical way, but how Jesus heals him of his spiritual blindness as well. It says, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What a wild assumption. That they walk by this, this man who has this affliction, this disability, and, and it's come from birth, and they assume, well, either he did something wrong or his parents did something wrong. Otherwise, this would not have happened. It sort of shows where the disciples are at spiritually. Yes, they're, they're by Jesus, they're learning from Jesus, but, but throughout this time you still see there's, there's sort of those, those cracks in the armor. You still see the disciples sort of uh, trip up on certain details. They walk by this man and they assume there must be something wrong in his life because if there wasn't anything wrong, there's no way he'd be going through this. They didn't understand grace. 
They didn't understand sin. They seemed to not totally get it. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happens that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one will work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I don't know if I would say this is an exact parallel, but what, what the disciples were sort of getting after was this idea of karma. Certainly this man must have got what was coming to him. Certainly this man got what was coming to his parents. God keeps a stat sheet and he says, well, if you did that for me, to me, then about 20 years later, I'm going to get you this way. And if you did that for that person in 20 years, I'm going to help you out that way. It's, it's maybe not exactly karma what they're talking about, but this mindset absolutely exists in our 2023 society. If you do what is wrong, you will be destroyed. You will be hurt. You will be scourged. And if you do what society would say is right, you'll be rewarded. It's a total misunderstanding of grace because we know that if sinners got what they deserved, if we got what was coming to us, the score sheet would not even be close. It would be sin after sin after sin after sin and then one sort of okay looking work and then sin after sin after sin. No, Jesus, Jesus blows that idea of, of karma out of the water. He says that is not at all how this world works. Instead, he uses this man to sort of show a better picture. I want you to think of two different people. One is a woman who has it all. She has a beautiful family. She has a wonderful job. She has a, a gorgeous house. She has all the money in the world. Everything is going well. And she is faithful as faithful gets when it comes to her Christian faith. We look at that person and we say, cool. What a beautiful model of, of faith. And then think of another person. The woman who, who can't catch a break. Everything seems to be going wrong. She lost her husband, and her kids are unhealthy, and she's got a bad job, or maybe she lost her job. She's just about to lose her house, and she's got not very much money in the bank account. And this woman, she too praises the Lord. Imagine what a beautiful witness that is. When things are going completely wrong, when life is not what you would like it to be, when it seems as if you have been shortchanged by God, when unbelievers might look at you and say, why would you stay faithful to that God who did this to you? That woman proudly says, but I am still shown grace from that God, and so I will still follow him. In that way, God is, is using this blind man in order to display his work in that way, he's able to use the trials and the challenges that you and I face in our lives to put his glory on further display for the people around us. That when we are at our worst, he remains at his best. We continue the reading. 
after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Gross. And no, I'm not just saying gross in a 2023 COVID world where we are very, very germ apprehensive. No, I'm saying that's gross. Now that was gross five years ago. That's been gross for a while. What a cool way how Jesus uses those means, those humble means, in order to show those people around him how he operates. This man is about to go before the Pharisees that wanted everything in life to be prim and proper and perfect. And Jesus says, when I deal with sinners, when I deal with spiritual blindness, I don't use means that are perfect and prim and proper. I use that which is available. And I think there's something really cool about this, this part of the, the story as well as we think about how God works faith in our hearts. This man received mud on his eyes and Jesus goes and tells him to wash. And all of a sudden he comes back able to see. Now he went and washed but who was the one that gave him the ability to see? It was Jesus. We put the emphasis on the work that Jesus did in his life and not on the fact that this man did that, that earthly thing of washing his eyes. That's sort of how we can look at, at faith. We don't put the emphasis on, on our believing, on our trust, or anything like that. We put the emphasis 100% on the power, the miracle that is God working faith in the hearts of his people. Every single time someone crosses over to spiritual blindness, to spiritual sight, it is nothing short of a miracle on the part of Christ himself. We skip ahead a little bit in our narrative, uh, and, and we're going by some verses as we go to, to verse 13. And, and in between verse 7 and verse 13, we see that the neighbors around this man see that he's able to see, and so they start asking him questions. And, and he gets this beautiful opportunity to bear witness to what Jesus did for him in his life. He didn't do anything extra. He didn't do anything above and beyond. He wasn't necessarily this extraordinarily articulate human being. He just said, this is what Jesus did for me. It's this beautiful model of witnessing that when we are blind and become seeing, we're simply able to relate that miracle to the people around us. That's evangelism. That is bearing witness to the love and the power of our Savior. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. The, the Pharisees could have seen this miracle done, and they could have thought to themselves, my, oh, my, this must be someone special. 
we need to investigate this man further. To be able to give sight to a blind man, this man must be from God. But what was their investigation instead focused on? Had he broken the rules? Had he done a little bit of work on the Sabbath in order to give this man his sight back? Yeah, their, their blindness had completely shut them off from seeing their Savior, even when he and his work were right in front of them. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. They cared about the law, which is a good thing. This extreme, zealous devotion to God is a good and beautiful thing, but their pride had completely blinded them to the Savior that was walking in their midst. Spiritual blindness causes you to miss that which is obvious and right in front of you. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that were open. The man replied, he is a prophet. In the midst of controversy, in the midst of adversity, the man can't help but say the thing that he knows they don't want to hear. He says, this is exactly what happened. He used the mud, he used the saliva, he put it on my eyes, and now I can see. What a beautiful way of, of witnessing to people who, who are standing against all that you are. These people did not want to hear this from that man. They wanted to hear condemnation. But instead, this man gets up and he unapologetically tells the truth. And they debated it. They fought about it. There, there's clearly some people that were able to see that, that this man was something special. How can a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. But there's still that contingent of them. That broad contingent of them that refuses to see the work of the Savior right in front of them. 34 says, To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Between verses 17 and 34, actually, we're, we're missing an entire part of the story that we just don't have time to completely cover in our sermon for today. We're missing this part where he, they go out and they get this man's parent and the parents and they start asking them some questions and they sort of cower a little bit. And they say, hey, how about you just ask our son because he's old enough to tell you what happened for himself. They were afraid. They were afraid of what the Pharisees might do to them, and they were afraid of what the Pharisees might think of them, because they knew that the Pharisees had all of the power in the world to just say, hey, guess what? You're out. And that's what we see in verse 34. They said him speaking the truth to them, the truth about what Jesus had accomplished in his life, was lecturing them. And so they kick him to the curb. The only reason that we take this long to kind of set the stage 
for what is about to come next is because I want us all to understand just how entrenched these people were in their unbelief. How much they refused to listen to truth even when the truth sat there and hit them right in the face. They were blind spots. A big blind spot in the life of the Pharisees that their pride had caused. I don't know if anybody here has ever gotten migraines. Uh, if you're somebody that migraines, you're going to totally understand what I have to say here. There's this moment as you're starting to get a migraine where all of a sudden a dot short of, sort of shows up in your periphery. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it is as if you can't even see anything that's going on on the side of your view. Where are our blind spots in this life? We might be able to look at this and we go, no, no, but we're not the Pharisees. We believe in Jesus as our Savior. We hear his words and we say, I believe, Lord. But we are reminded of our blind spots, aren't we? We get to those moments where we're reading through Scripture and, and we get to one of those verses where it says something that would be unpopular in society today to say, and so we just kind of close the Bible that day and, and push it away from us and go, you know what, I'm just going to sort of forget about that. Someone approaches us with a sin that they see in our lives and instead of, instead of using that as an ability to see the sin that they are putting in front of us, our pride causes us to slam the door. And we say, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm doing life right. You don't need to worry about me. And we get defensive and we get agitated and we get anger and our stubbornness says, I am right and you're wrong. Even in those moments where we find ourselves saying that to the word of God. Yeah, our lives are littered with blind spots. And those blind spots are a reminder of the blindness from which we were called. Before Jesus called us out of darkness, we were, we were groping around in, in abject darkness. No sense of how to get out of it ourselves. And then Jesus came and rescued us. Through the most humble means, he rescued us. Through people that he put in our lives, through the word of God being brought into our hearts, he rescued us and gave us sight. We read on. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus tracks this man down because only part of his work was done. He had, he had rescued him physically, but he says, no, 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 no. There's still more to do in this man's life. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. That was all he needed to hear. He just needed to hear that his Savior was standing right in front of him. And all of a sudden, the blindness, the spiritual blindness, was just cast off to the sides. And he could finally see his Savior for what he was. A loving God that had rescued him from sin. No side-eyed glance. No other follow-up questions. 
He said, you've seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believed, and he falls down and he worships him. That's sight. I think sometimes people think that in order to, in order to dive deep into the mysteries of God, we have to ask all of these, these obscure questions. For example... We were just going through Genesis on Friday mornings, and so we were going through creation, and we were going through the flood accounts, and you could imagine all of the questions that all of us had about some of, some of the elements of those two accounts. And we, as human beings, we like to have every single one of our curiosities answered, but instead, there are these moments in life where Jesus says, it's not that tough. I am he. I am the one who gives sight to the blind. Who speaks sight into your heart through the word of God. And he uses that humble means. A book on the shelf. A podcast in the car. In order to give you sight. To expose the sin and the unbelief in your life. So that it can be called out. Pushed out. And sight might replace it. Brothers and sisters, the next time you have your Bible out as you read your kids a devotion, know that with you at the foot of that bed sits your Savior, whispering truths to give sight to the blind. As you're on your commute and you're listening to your favorite Christian podcast, or you're just listening to your daily chapter of Bible reading that morning, know that Jesus is riding shotgun, whispering his truths into your heart. When you sit down in these pews, even if you are sitting by yourself, know that your Savior sits next to you, whispering through these humble means, through the word of God itself. He's whispering truths into your heart so that blindness might be turned into sight. Yes, he uses the humble means. And he does something extraordinary with them. He takes spiritual blindness and turns it to sight. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. By faith, it's clear. We're able to see who Jesus is, we're able to see what Jesus did, and we're able to trust in him through that gift of faith that he plants in our hearts. But what he's saying here is that for those who think that they are seeing, for those who push the gospel aside and, and have a very specific worldview of, of this life and, and the afterlife, if you have nothing to do with the sight that Jesus provides, that sight that you think you have right now will be turned into blindness. And you'll get questions like, well, why do you go to church? Why on earth do you waste an hour on Sunday morning? And why do you waste an hour afterwards for Bible class? Why would you waste your hard-earned dollars by putting them into the offering plate? Why would you waste your time in prayer? Blind people don't understand sight. They don't understand it until they experience it. You have sight. You get to walk around this world and understand why things happen. And you get to walk around this world looking forward to a time when the sight that you have will be perfect. And there will be no blind spots on the periphery. 
and there will be no unanswered questions. Just truth and light with your Savior. Amen.